Thank you. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, 18th chapter. That's where we eventually will be going. But first, I have to talk a little bit about camp. I just spent uh, an entire week there, and uh, it was a great week. In fact, we have some uh, of the campers here this morning, and I'm so sorry, guys, that you have to listen to me for the 12th time this week. That's <laughs> pain. Um, there were about 46 campers, 9th and 10th graders, this week at Deeper Life. Uh, we had heard that the week before, 11th and 12th, was just a great, powerful week, and uh, God duplicated that. It was a powerful week. We talked about the greatness of God. And how the greatness of God is what should lead us to a wholehearted commitment to Him, giving our all. You have to grasp the greatness of God in order to even want to give Him your all. So that's kind of what we talked about. And we saw a lot of campers make huge commitments in response to that. Um, Commitments that if they go home and live out those commitments, it will change their lives and it will change people around them and situations around them. Uh, We saw young people um, address worry and anxiety, and there's a lot of it among young people. We, We saw some of these students address anger, anger that was overwhelming them because of things going on at home, especially. We saw teenagers addressing unforgiveness, forgiving people that had hurt them, wronged them, caused pain in their life. And then Wednesday night, we saw teenagers and counselors repenting before God, confessing their secret sins, the sins they've been hiding. And uh, some of them the next day talking about the freedom and the weight that was lifted um, because of uh, taking that step. So it was a a great week. Um, Young people responding to God's Word, responding to His truth. And uh, I got to watch a group of counselors just love those campers, speak truth into their life, and then watch them weep for those campers yesterday morning as they met and wrapped up uh, the week. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you. I know a lot of you are faithfully praying every day for what was going on at camp. Um, I'm tired. And I was looking so much forward to my own bed last night. And I had a hard time sleeping. So I am really tired, but uh, we move on with our series this summer called The Prophets Club. We're looking at a different Old Testament prophet every Sunday, and uh, we're going to do that today. And the prophet we're going to look at is Micaiah. Now, before this summer, how many of you had heard of Samuel the prophet? Okay. He was the first one we talked about. 
How many of you had heard of Nathan, the prophet, who confronted David? Okay, that was the second one we talked about. How many before this summer had heard of Elijah, the prophet? Talked about him last week. How many before this summer had heard of Micaiah? Oh, so, so much fewer, okay? And that's not surprising. He, he is not one of those familiar, popular prophets of the Old Testament. And that's one of the reasons I decided to include him in the Prophets Club. Uh, because in the Prophets Club, God's men who, who spoke his truth um, weren't all men who became famous in uh, Christian circles as generations went by. And Micaiah is one of them. Uh, Micaiah was the son of a guy we've never heard of before, and the only time he's mentioned is when we're told that Micaiah was the son of Imlah. But we're told that. Micaiah's name means who is like Jehovah. It's a longer version of the name Micah. Uh, Micaiah, who is like Jehovah. Micaiah served as a prophet in the northern kingdom, Israel. Israel was divided into two parts, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. Micaiah ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel. He ministered in the time of King Ahab, same as Elijah, as we learned last week. He as well was uh, involved with King Ahab, the most wicked king there had been to that time, a king who married a woman named Jezebel and took on the worship of her gods, Baal. Which means, by what I just said, Micaiah was a contemporary of Elijah. I don't know if they knew each other, but you would think they did if they both ministered in the northern kingdom and both were involved with King Ahab. You would think that they at least ran into each other. I don't know. But they were contemporaries. Which tells us why, maybe, Micaiah is such an obscure, unfamiliar prophet. Because he ministered in the shadow of one of the most popular prophets, Elijah. And so it's like throughout history, Elijah has kind of taken the spotlight. But Micaiah was also being used of God at the same time. In the life of the same king. Poor Ahab. He had two prophets of God at the same time bringing messages to him. If it wasn't Elijah, and he hated Elijah, it was Micaiah. And we'll find out today he hated Micaiah. And they were thorns in his side. So, we're going to look at this, and and the only place that we have teaching record of the prophet Micaiah is in 1 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 18. And if you're familiar with the Kings and the Chronicles, they pretty much uh, present the same historical events. So, we'll take the 2 Chronicles 18 record of this event. Only one account that's presented concerning Micaiah, 
All right, so Second Chronicles 18. We're just going to read through it, uh, comment on it, follow the narrative. Basically, that's what we'll do. And grab onto a couple things that we learn about Micaiah and how they relate to us as well. So let's pray first. Our Father, guide us now as we uh, work through this passage. Uh, thank you for your servants, your prophets. Thank you for the ones who became familiar and popular. But Lord, thank you for the ones like Micaiah who, who became obscure and no one remembers their names. But God, you use them as well. Teach us something through that, Father. In Christ's name, amen. So, Second Chronicles 18. <clears throat> it begins this way. Now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor. Jehoshaphat would have been the king of Judah at that time. So Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom, a very wicked king. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, a very godly king, if you read the chapter before. It says that Jehoshaphat allied himself with Ahab by marriage. So the two kings were related through marriage somehow. Verse 2. Some years later, Jehoshaphat went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, the capital of Israel. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? Ramoth-Gilead was a region east of the Jordan, that had been taken by the Arameans, Syria, uh, years before in a war. And now Ahab wants it back. He wants that region that the Arameans took from him. And so he wants to see if Jehoshaphat will join up with him and their two armies combine and go across the Jordan and get that land back. So that's the request. Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. Sure, we'll go with you. We will join up with you and do this battle. We're part of you. We come from the same roots. Besides that, we're related through marriage. So we're in. But Jehoshaphat is a godly king. So notice what Jehoshaphat says. Verse 4, Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First, seek the counsel of the Lord. Not so fast, Ahab. Let's, let's find out what God says. Let's seek him about this. Good move. Good move. So, verse 5, the king of Israel, Ahab, brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord? whom we can inquire of. 
which indicates there was something about those 400 prophets that Jehoshaphat wasn't really sure about. It's like he's questioning whether these guys are really prophets of the Lord. Or are they Ahab's yes-men? Or are they 400 prophets of Baal? Because that's who Ahab was worshiping at this time. And discerning, Jehoshaphat says, Is there not a prophet of the Lord, we could ask? Verse 7. The king of Israel, Ahab, answered Jehoshaphat, Well, I put the well in. Well, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. So it's like Ahab is saying, oh, great. There is one guy, prophet of the Lord. But I hate the guy because every time he gives me a message, it's bad news for me. But Jehoshaphat replied, the king should not say that. Come on, Ahab. You shouldn't talk that way about a prophet. And so the king of Israel, verse 8, called one of his officials and said, Okay, I added, okay. Okay, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Go get him. Verse 9, dressed in their royal robes. Picture the scene. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel, Ahab, And Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance to the gate of Samaria. Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. Right out there by the gates, the two kings sitting on their thrones in all their royal garb, surrounded by 400 prophets. Quite a crew. Zedekiah, verse 10, was one of those prophets. It says he made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said. For the Lord will give it into the king's hand. They repeat their um, message. Well, verse 12, the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, as they're making their way to meet the kings. Look, as one man, in other words, unanimously, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. So now Micaiah is under pressure. The one who went to get him says, Uh, You need to know, all 400 of Ahab's prophets said, go, you will win. It probably would be a good idea, Micaiah, if you agreed and gave the same message. 
And you need to mark this verse, verse 13. But Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. Amen, Micaiah. He's not going to bow to that kind of pressure. So, verse 14, when he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And Micaiah answered, Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. And you got to remember, they have a history with each other. And right away, the king said to him, come on. I put come on in there. Come on. How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? There is enough history there that Ahab knows that Micaiah is being, I don't know what the word is, facetious, sarcastic. He's playing with them. Ahab knows that Micaiah isn't going to give the same answer as his prophets. He knows that. He says, come on, quit fooling with me. Tell me the truth. So Micaiah tells him the truth. Verse 16. Micaiah answered, I saw. And if you notice down in verse 18, Micaiah says, I saw. So he's going to tell Ahab two things he saw as he got the message from God to pass on to Ahab. The first I saw. So he had some kind of vision. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Now, can you figure out what the message is there? He says, I see in this vision Israel scattered on the hillside like sheep with no master. There's no master, no one leading them. And so they just go home. What, what do you think the message is to Ahab? You're going to lose, and you're going to die. The result of this battle will be a loss, and Israel will have no more master, no more king. <laughs> Verse 17, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, remember they're on two thrones, he looks over at Jehoshaphat, and he says, didn't I tell you he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? What did I tell you, Jehoshaphat? See, he came through again. Bad message, bad news. Micaiah continues because he saw something else. He had another vision. He says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. 
And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, talking about these spirits, the host around the throne. One suggested this and another that. Finally, one spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. I'll go and I'll move those 400 prophets to tell Ahab, go ahead, you're going to win. And the Lord said, you will succeed in enticing him. Go do it. So now the Lord, this is Micaiah now saying, so now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of your prophets. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Now that might be a difficult little portion there for us to figure out. Let me suggest this. It was a vision that Micaiah saw in order to get a message from God to bring to Ahab. Don't get caught up in the details, okay? Don't get all hung up on the details of the vision. That was Micaiah's vision to get a message. What was the message? Ahab, you're going to die. The plan is that you go against Ramoth Gilead because it's your time. One of the scriptures we looked at this week at camp was Isaiah 40 on the greatness of God. And in one of the places it says it is God who raises up the rulers of the nations and is God who just blows and determines when they fall and are gone. Saying, rulers come and go. God is sovereign. He remains the same. And I think the message that Micaiah is to give because of this vision is to let Ahab know, you're going to die. Your time is up. Because of the kind of king you've been. I don't think that the message from God through Micaiah was, don't go, don't do battle. The message was, you're going to die. You're done. And it will happen when you fight Ramoth Gilead. Let's go on. Verse 23. Well, once Micaiah said this, it says, then Zedekiah, that spokesperson for the prophets, went up and he slapped Micaiah on the face. Well, he's protecting his king, right? The prophet has just said to Ahab, you're going to die. You go in that battle, your people will have no master, no king. You are going to die. This is the end. And so Zedekiah is protecting his king. How dare this prophet tell the king he's going to die, that it's over. And so he asked Micaiah after slapping him, which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? Get what he's saying? You think the spirit of the Lord left me to go to you? 
Well, I think the answer would be if it was here, you never had the Spirit of the Lord. So, Micaiah says in verse 24, to Zedekiah, one of these prophets, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. You'll find out that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. What does he mean? The day you go to the inner room. When Ahab loses the battle and dies, his 400 yes-men are going to hide. And when they're hiding in their little secret places, they're going to realize Micaiah was right. Verse 25. The king of Israel then ordered, Ahab said, Take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. And we're told that Micaiah then was put in prison. I want you to think about this. The issue here was not, should we go and fight Ramoth Gilead? The issue that upset Zedekiah, the issue that upset King Ahab, was that Micaiah was saying, your reign is over and you will die. That's what upset everybody. They were going to go to battle. Ahab was convinced he was going to battle. And if I read the vision right, it was God's plan that he goes to battle. The problem Ahab had was the message that his reign was over and he would die in the battle. That's why he says, put this fellow in prison, give him nothing but bread and water. What are the next words? Until I return safely. Nobody's going to kill me, King Ahab. Put the man who says they will in prison till I get back. And as they're leading Micaiah off to prison, notice what he says. Verse 27. If you ever return safely, Ahab, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words. Why could he say that as he's being led off to prison? Because his words were the words of God. He was God's megaphone. Giving the message to Ahab, your reign is over, your life is over. It's time for me to just blow, and you're gone. Mark my words, Micaiah said. He 
He goes to prison. If you read the rest of the chapter, Ahab goes up against Ramoth Gilead. He even tries to um, kind of masquerade himself so he doesn't look like a king, just in case Micah is right. Doesn't work. <laughs> the text says a random arrow pierced him where there was no armor. Random? Coincidence? No, it was his time. God said so. And Ahab did die in that battle. Micaiah was right because it was the message from God. Okay, a couple things we can learn from Micaiah because he's never mentioned again in Scripture. We, we don't know if he ever got out of prison. We don't know what happened to him. He's never mentioned again. This is it. One chapter. One account. We know there were more because he had a history with Ahab. But this is the only thing recorded about Micaiah. But there's a couple things we can learn about the guy that we can think about. One is this. You can do effective ministry even if you're not in the spotlight. Do you believe that? There are some Christians who think the only way you can do effective ministry is if it's up front. You know, one of those ministries that everybody gets to see. And because I don't have any kind of gift or talent like that, I can't minister. But we see Micaiah really never in the spotlight. It was Elijah all the way. Elijah got famous. Elijah is talked about all the way through the rest of Scripture. But never Micaiah. He ministered in the shadow of of Elijah. And yet he was effective. He played a significant role in speaking truth into King Ahab's life at the very end. You know, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, it talks about the gifts that God's people today have all the different kinds of gifts that he's given us to use in ministry. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, there isn't one of those gifts that's insignificant. There are gifts that, yeah, they're up front. Everybody knows. Everybody sees. Everybody hears when you minister with that gift. You're in the spotlight. But he also says there's gifts that are kind of behind the scenes. Nobody ever sees it. Nobody ever hears it, but those gifts are just as important. And those people have as an effective ministry as the ones who are in the spotlight. And that was Micaiah, way back there. You know, in the Prophets Club, he was not the most popular. He was obscure, but he effectively ministered. He really did, boldly. He ministered. I had a blessed experience this past week. 
fact, if you add the week before to this week, I found myself ministering in obscurity because two of my sons and two of my granddaughters had the spotlight. My son Lon was the director both weeks. Everybody loves him. The kids love him. My son Seth spoke last week before this one. The kids love him. He's out there playing with them all day long. They love him. My granddaughter Sage is a key person on the worship team at camp these first two weeks. They love her and the ministry she does through worship. And then there's Wild Maisie, my granddaughter, who plays drums, and they love her in her wildness and drum playing. And then there's me, old 69-year-old dad and grandpa, who can't run around with them anymore, or he's in trouble physically. And even though I was speaking a couple times a day, I, I could tell I wasn't in the spotlight. You know, I was kind of in the shadow of my sons and granddaughters. And that's a blessing to me. And I did okay. I think of these counselors that were in the staff lounge yesterday morning weeping for these campers. Some of the weeping was for joy because of what God had done in the lives of the campers. Um, John and Deb, you know this. Weeping because they have to go home and knowing what they're going home to, to try and keep their commitments. Most people aren't even going to know who those counselors were. They'll never know who those counselors were. But they had an effective ministry. They weren't in the spotlight, but they were used by God. And friends, you need to know that. You need to know that whatever gift God has given you, He's given you for ministry. And maybe He has chosen not to give you an upfront spotlight type gift, but your gift is is as important and can be as effective as those who minister in the spotlight. Remember Micaiah, obscure, unfamiliar, never talked about again after one chapter about him, but he had an effective ministry. Remember that. Use your gift. God will use you. Second thing we learn from Micaiah's experience is that he was committed to God's truth even under pressure. Remember as he's walking with the guy who came and got him to go before the kings? Remember what the guy said? Now, you need to know all 400 gave this message it would be to your advantage to agree with them and give the same message. And never forget 
what Micaiah said. I will speak God's truth. No pressure will cause me to compromise and not speak God's truth. Take a look at uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. This goes way out in the future of Micaiah. But notice what Paul says to young Timothy, a preacher. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. He says to him, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's Ahab's 400 prophets, right? 400 prophets that would always say what Ahab wanted to hear. Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Ahab had his prophets who said whatever he wanted them to say, as long as it made him feel good, comfortable. In Paul's day and Timothy's day, there were false prophets, false teachers. And Paul said people are going to want to hear from them because they make the people feel good and comfortable. And friends, there are teachers today, and there are people who want to hear what makes them feel good. It doesn't have to be true as long as it's comfortable. And Paul warns about that. And he says, Timothy, you speak the truth. You keep speaking God's truth, just like Micaiah. No pressure will stop you from speaking the truth. Friends, whether you are in a position to speak God's truth publicly or just in conversation, don't let any pressure otherwise cause you to compromise. Speak God's truth. Get to know God's truth and speak God's truth. Don't let any pressure steer you away from that. You ever uh, watched the movie A Few Good Men? Way back in the early 2000s, young Tom Cruise played a young Navy lawyer. Jack Nicholson played kind of the villain. He was a colonel in the Marines. And at the very end of the movie, you have this dramatic courtroom scene where the Marine colonel is on the witness stand. And this young Navy lawyer is questioning him. And the young lawyer just goes back and forth with the colonel and they're yelling at each other. And finally, the Marine colonel says, what do you want from me? 
And the young lawyer says, I want answers. And the Marine colonel says, I gave you answers. And the young lawyer, Tom Cruise, says, I want the truth. And the most memorable line in the whole movie then is spoken, yelled by the Marine colonel. Son, you can't handle the truth. First night of camp. I told that little thing from the movie, and I said to these ninth and 10th graders, I'm here this week, and no matter what anybody else says about you, I believe you, as ninth and 10th graders, can handle the truth. And you're going to get it this week. No compromise. Not here to make you feel good. Not here to make you comfortable. To speak truth. And you know what? They could handle the truth. They responded to God's word. Commitments changed lives. Friends, don't hold back on the truth. God's truth. Because you don't think people can handle it. They'll feel bad. They'll disagree with you. It'll make them uncomfortable. They won't want to talk to you anymore. I'm not saying be rude and disrespectful, but I'm saying speak truth. Speak God's truth. No matter what the pressure, remember Micaiah, great pressure, 400 to 1. But he spoke the truth. He got slapped for it, and he got put in prison for it. But he said, mark my word. What I said was true because it was from God. A hero that we hardly hear about. But he was part of the prophets club. And God used him. He can use you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this guy that we Never heard of till now. Thank you for what little you did reveal to us about him. Because what we see is a man who was willing to serve and be effective, even though Elijah got the spotlight. And we see a man who, under great pressure, was unwilling to fold determined to speak your truth. May we in some way be like him, Father. In Christ's name, amen.